All right. Good morning. Good evening. Good afternoon. Happy Canada Day. What is up, my friends? You are listening and watching Untold Stories. We're together twice a week. We get to dive deep with some of Bitcoin and crypto's most influential leaders to truly understand how this movement came to be, where we are right now, where we're, where we're going. Sometimes we zoom out. Sometimes we zoom in, talk about the events of the day. Sometimes we don't want to get down that rabbit hole of, of worry and, and fear, uncertainty, and doubt. So we just keep focusing on the fundamentals of why we all got here in the first place and we move forward together. And actually, um, I'm really excited because this was like between consensus and the past few weeks, uh, been really focusing and seeing a lot of different projects and companies that are growing and being built right now that will really bring our technology to mass adoption. We're finally at that cusp, that watershed moment where we're not just building out products for ourselves now, we're building out products and technologies for the whole world using what we've all known that is amazing over the last few years. So it's like feels kind of that validation. It's nice to see that the world is taking us a little bit more seriously and a lot of the fluff is going away. Uh, speaking of Canada Day, I'm actually really honored. I'm very excited. My my newest friend, we've gotten very close lately and I'm excited to have him on the show. Talk about you know how he got into Bitcoin all those years ago, where he is right now, what what he's working on, what makes him tick and and what, you know, Whenever you meet my next guest in person, you'll see him so excited all the time and passionate about life. Kyle Kemper, thank you so much for coming on Untold Stories today. Charlie, it's my true ple pleasure, brother. Happy Canada Day. How, how does this day feel to you? Like, what does it mean to you? Ah, I mean, I guess it just uh, was the date that a bunch of Canadian, uh, the Canadian provinces came together and signed the... Uh, uh, the confederation agreement that formalized Canada many, many, many moons ago. Um, yeah. But from growing up in Ottawa, it was always like a day of celebration where people came out with the flags and singing the anthem and celebrating, um, you know, to their heart's desire, uh, fireworks in Ottawa. I mean, it's, it's equivalent to like, you know, Independence Day. It wasn't really about independence. Yeah. And Independence Day is this, is this weekend too. Um, but I just love celebrations. Why is it so important to celebrate in life? As a kid, uh, there was this actually, um, there was this offshoot of, of, of my Jewish, uh, Orthodox, uh, uh, community. There was an offshoot of them and they were kind of known. And if you go to Israel or Brooklyn or Los Angeles, you'll meet a lot of them. They're like the Breslavites and they, Follow this one guy, this one rabbi who died a few hundred years ago called uh, Rabbi Nachman of Breslov. And their version of the religion is just 100% happiness, singing, dancing all the time, just being happy. And they kind of fund it. They go around Israel in these vans and they'll stop traffic in the middle of the road, whip out their speakers and start dancing and just in the street and just trying to bring people out of like traffic and all these negative things. And when I met you, actually, we were talking when I met you for the first time, uh, that's you were kind of doing the same thing. You had your your speaker, a microphone and a big and a big, you know, sound box, uh, just preaching joy and happiness to people. And at one side, you're this very serious businessman and you've been through you, you you've like been a part of a lot of founding teams of some very important 
uh, crypto milestones over the last 10 years. But at, this, at the end of the day, you also don't take yourself too seriously. H- how do you do that? Oh, I, I mean, I, I just, I guess I've kind of been through all the like super serial behavior. And, um, you know, in 2018, I was invited to participate in Dogecon up in Vancouver and Gary Lichance held a decentralized dance party. And he's become one of, you know, my great friends and colleagues. And as part of Dogecon, it was like very, you know, deep discussions about the future of technology and decentralization, but we were all in costumes and like, we held like a very serious, like, you know, state of the union address, but everybody was in costumes and we had boom boxes everywhere. And it just like, you know, moved into, you know, this decentralized dance party where we danced through the streets for like five hours as this, you know, giant fun mob. And, you know, that was like one point where it really like, you know, it was like, you know, it's okay to, to be silly, um, you know, with purpose. Um, and, you know, this, these kind of these ideas of, you know, bringing out people like that story you shared about, um, yeah. you know, the group in Israel, like, I love that idea. And like, that's oh, something yeah. that I like to embody is, you know, how can we bring people together? Cause you know, as, as Gary would say, like capital P partying, like, you know, has the, has a force for true good. And that's, you know, when you're dancing together, where you're being your freest self, where you're releasing your inner child, where you're letting go of your ego, um, you know, and, and just coming together with others without fear of judgment. And, you know, the power of music is so good and dance and just, you know, you can leave behind all of the, divisive identity politics and like you know the the silos in which we place ourselves that you know pit us against another group and just just forget about that because at the end of the day we all have souls and beating hearts and when when you know we can leave behind some of these lower vibrational elements we can we can rise together and you know we had that opportunity last weekend or two weekends ago in in Sarasota to do just that gosh my cheeks were were hurting after that we had a we had some producers down here in, in in sarasota from from los angeles location scouting so kyle came up and, and his amazing wife and his son and and a bunch of a, a lot of our friends and we got this trolley together and we uh we just danced around around sarasota and, and bradington in the whole area and went to each place and all these locations and these guys, for like days after, they would get on the Zooms and be like, oh, my God, what an amazing time. What the best time ever. It was just like we really blew their mind. It was just so much fun. And I love doing stuff like that. It reminded me of like the early days of Bitcoin, actually, when it was really more about the fun of everything. Yeah. And, you know, then things got pretty serial uh, within it. That's one of the things that kind of attracted me to like, you know, the, the Dogecoin community was this very like mimetic, fun community that was based on giving. It didn't have all like, you know, the charge or I wouldn't say all the charge politics yeah. of, of some of the other coins, but definitely there's a lot, a lot of that going on. But in general, great. It's just amazing to see how far we've come and, uh, you know, being in consensus like every single Uber driver, like, you know, I just have yeah. questions like, do you guys have crypto? Like, oh yeah, definitely. Like amazing versus 2013. Like what? 
But it's not just about that. Like it used to be, do you have crypto? Do you? But now they know Bitcoin culture. I'll get in the Uber and he'll be like, did you see Sam was making an offer to buy BlockFi? I'm like, what are you talking about, man? <laughs> yeah. But you see that all the time now. So we've definitely hit that like super mass adoption kind of maybe with the culture, but no one really understands what our culture is about. I don't think I really understand what our culture is about. Like, and I think the decentralized dance party, that I concept was like a perfect hybrid of like embodying what our culture is all about would you would you say so too uh i mean i hope i i i, I aspire to see that be what our our collective you know decentralization culture uh is all about and uh you know i think that it's really important as we kind of move forward to there's still a lot of people in this in this in this game who are coming in coming now coming in now that's really just about the money and about number go up but uh you know there's some of the greater values and, and purpose of the decentralized movement that's what got me really excited about it i didn't first learn about bitcoin and think oh this is a way to get rich like no i'm like this is the scalpel to the cancer that is the federal reserve system <laughs> what do you yeah. mean well, so, I mean, like, you know, my, my journey began with like, you know, with, I'd say 9-11 was a, a, was a really important marker. And then I remember the movie Zeitgeist by Peter Joseph coming out in 2007. And that one, like, you know, highlighted the men behind the curtain, really exposed a lot of the, you know, the centralization at the very top with the central bankers. Then Ron Paul with his whole run in 2008. Um, and like the audit the Fed kind of movement and like, you know, bringing more awareness to how centralized and how corrupt and, uh, and secretive and how it really like, you know, the, when you have peak centralization, it benefits those who are closest to the very top. Um, and then looking at Bitcoin, well, first when I saw Bitcoin, I was like, this is stupid. Like just completely dismissed it. And then it was like, you know, over the night, and that was like 2011 and then multiple yeah impressions until 2013 when it was like someone walked into my life and just i just had he claimed to have a ton of bitcoin and i just started asking him all these questions and it triggered my light bulb moment and from there like never looked back and realized that okay a scarce digital money that's wholly inclusive that anybody in the world can you know open a wallet without any permission being required um, to be able to participate in this network and you know it having like, you know, it's, it's the complete opposite of the, you know, the, the fiat money system, which is like a hockey stick kind of curve in terms of in unlimited inflation, whereas, or unlimited supply, whereas Bitcoin, it's like, okay, we've got a fixed supply here, 21 million. We've got a, a, a coded inflation system. We can always know exactly what the inflation rate is within Bitcoin. Um, so that was some of the, like the roots of seeing, okay, this is something like, you know, that really presents an alternative. And as Bucky Fuller said, like you can't fix a system by fighting it. To change something, build a new model that makes the existing model obsolete. And that quote like, just sticks with me so strongly. And it's like very indicative of Bitcoin. And, you know, Andreas Antonopoulos a long time ago was like, Bitcoin is like gunpowder. Once gunpowder was invented, there's no uninventing it. It's like you can you can still you know use bows and arrows if you want, yeah. But gunpowder now exists, so 
you know, that's that's like the, the the level that this very you know impactful innovation that's taken civilization um, you know into this you know new age. You you said something, you said network participation. I would say like community participation. And really, like when you downloaded that first Bitcoin software, you were participating in the network because you were also operating a node and you you were mining if you were early enough on your on your computer. And 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 nowadays, you know, when you create a private key, it doesn't make you feel like you're participating in the network. Most people are not mining and nodes aren't incentivized. And, and this is just with Bitcoin. So really network participation is just kind of holding over a long period of time or or transacting. And I feel like that kind of got away. Uh, a lot of other like smart contract based platforms, Ethereum, the likes, there is a some level of like network participation. It feels like because you can have an LP token or you can participate in governance or lack thereof and blah, blah, blah. There's all this other stuff. Uh, the Doge community, you, you love the Doge community. You started, uh, uh, you're one of the, the creators of the million Doge disco. What is it about that community? Cause you know, you know, the creator Jackson Palmer, he was so like, he's still around. He's just was never not the community type. Let's just leave it at that. No. <laughs> no. And he's, and he's since been like, I don't want anything to do with yeah. this community. Yeah. You know, it was started as it was started as a joke. And what I really like about Dogecoin is it's a layer one is it's like, you know, it's like a fork of Litecoin. Sure. Um, and it's a great introductory coin. Uh, whereas like Bitcoin now, like sending somebody, I mean, now that we've kind of moved into the sats language, um, it seems like you're getting a little bit more. But when you send someone like 0. 0.0001 Bitcoin, it's not all that exciting. But sending somebody, you know, it used to be like 10,000 Doge or 1,000 Doge. Like, that's a little bit more exciting. And just by going through, like, the wallet setup and understanding how the public and private keys work, they don't even fully understand how it necessarily works. But, you know, it's like you can study, like, Bitcoin and Dogecoin and Litecoin, like, for years. But you're never really going to truly understand it until you actually just send a transaction back and forth, until you receive some and you send some. I like to do like four methods. Like, you know, if I have the time with someone to actually like intro them, it's like, okay, I'm going to send you some in person. We're going to do like a scan yeah, code back fun. and forth. And then we're going to, I'm going to copy and paste the address and send it to you. And we're going to demonstrate how we can send, send crypto back and forth when we're not present. And just by doing that, it unlocks a bunch of natural questions, you know, in the, in the student's mind about where it goes and helps on that journey. Like, you know, Education is, and I feel like I'm an educator in in teaching people like how to onboard them. But by doing this, by going through the actual sending, uh, you know, it's very eye opening. And Doge is fun because it's just like that. Like when people are like, "Oh, Shiba Inu," and like, ah, I mean, like, like ah, we're kind of dealing with like layer twos here that are more complicated. That like gets into all sorts of like abstraction layers about the true use of it. And it's also most people are just in that for a number go up. Whereas, like, how do we actually use it? Like, I use crypto like all the time. Like, you know, I actually like use it as a real currency, like get paid in it and then pay with it. Um, and fortunately, we have like really robust infrastructure now to be able to, you know, once it was like, you know, it was it was 
difficult, but people wanted to live entirely on Bitcoin. Now it's very, very possible to, you know, do 50 to 80% of your activities using crypto. You could totally do that now. It's, it's changed. But I remember definitely a time when all I wanted to do was spend crypto. But this is what, spend Bitcoin, sorry. But what, what happened was, as I think Bitcoin suffered from getting known too quickly. And to take a quote from Satoshi, it's like he said, let's not kick the hornet's nest when, when we had asked him to, uh, uh, to WikiLeaks if we wanted WikiLeaks to accept Bitcoin, which they ended up doing. And it ended up kicking the hornet's nest. It got Bitcoin to the forefront of the conversation and that made it grow very too fast. But I would argue that slower growth would have been a lot better. And that's why things need to, to, to relax, you know, can slow down a little bit. But I remember not wanting to spend Bitcoin anymore because I wasn't earning it as fast as I was spending it, which is a problem with we all have with money, right? But I mean, the, the, the amount of Bitcoin. So the price was going up every day so quickly that I wasn't able to buy it as fast or earn it as fast as I was spending it. And therefore, I didn't want to uh, do it anymore. Yeah. So it was like a whole thing. Definitely. Definitely feel that uh, in retrospect was like, you know, probably shouldn't have you know, giving away all of that coin to, to introducing people to it and hoping yeah. that they, they properly stored their private keys. Cause I know a lot of them didn't. And that's why, you know, I was really grateful for services like change to back in the day, which like, you know, made it like, you know, just log in with Twitter, log in with Facebook to be able to have like, you know, an off chain custodial wallet for small amounts, but it was like really, really easy to kind of get in. Cause you know, most people aren't coming in Bitcoin like, okay, the first little bit that we're going to buy is like a huge amount. Like, I just don't think that's the, the reality. Yeah. And, and speaking of the day, like with all the, the different, you know, not your keys, not your crypto. I'm actually really excited. We, we got a new sponsor uh, that's going to be sponsoring the show. They're called SafePal. Um, they just sent me over their hardware wallet. It's an amazing one. I'm, I shouldn't be talking about that. They're not the sponsor yet, but, but I'm going to give them an extra shout out. You know, not your keys, not your crypto right now. They're an amazing hardware wallet. I'm excited to be able to, to show it to my, to my listeners and to my viewers. But um, that's, there's definitely a big problem of the day with that. You know, you actually wrote a book called, you wrote a bunch of books, but you wrote a book called The Unified Wallet. And in this book, you explain how crypto and blockchain will revolutionize everything from commerce to medicine to law. But the potential, um, it's not going to be realized until we have what, like a streamlined, secure interoperability between all chains, all wallets, like what needs to be the user experience in order for us to like really break through? The thesis of it is that when we're in control of our keys, um, you know, and we're, we're, we have a wallet that's like, a, you know, a secure enclave to store the different private keys for all the different networks and and also beyond just the cryptos. And I think we're seeing now with digital identity and with NFTs, which I think will be one of the layers for digital identity, um, like being able to you know, store and view and provide proofs for your various you know, identities and assets and be able to spend from you know, one place and have that secure repository for it. I think like one of the closest wallets, like the one that I really love is Edge Wallet. By oh, Paul I love Green. Edge, yeah. Like I love Edge. And I think like, you know, they solved a lot of the challenges. Like you don't have to write down a seed mnemonic when you set it up. They created a secure enclave that stores all your private keys underneath it. They have memos and 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 you can you can like record 
personal notes on all your own transactions and it's all stored in like, you know, secure. It's like, it's get, it's really, you know, one of the closest kind of examples where of, of, of that. And the, the creator of edge, is- by the way, at Paul Puy's from, from this area, from the Tampa area, he comes to the Tampa Bitcoin meetup all the time when he's in town. And Paul's just like amazing too. He's just such a really great, like honest, integrity driven man uh, who's built a really good team around him. And, you know, the wallet business is one that I think we've seen a lot of wallets, like, you know, be lured by the shiny objects um, by, you know, compromising or listing your own token or doing different things. But Paul's like, you know, really stuck from an integrity point of view. And it's been a, uh, a long journey and he's done an incredible job. And if you haven't, if you don't have edge wallet, I think it's like, I think it's really essential that everybody has like a mobile wallet on them with some crypto in it so that you can use it on the day to day. It's not to store all your crypto. Like, you know, if you have lots of crypto, there's, there, there's better ways, but everybody should have a mobile wallet on them. And edge is a really good one. And, you know, it's only going to get better, um, you know, as we go forward. And we're going to see other, you know, awesome wallets too. Like I was showing you the My Doge wallet. Like, dude, that one's so sick, but it's just Dogecoin, which is, you know, which is good, but it's kind of limiting as well. The nice thing about Edge is, dude, it has swaps within it. It has a bit refill integration. So you can just buy an Uber gift card, like instantly have it charged up. Uh, in your Uber app, like right away, it's really, really powerful. It's it's not a, it's not just a wallet; like it's a super app. It's a super wallet. So yeah, you you <laughs> hearing we're talking about like this is what I love about you. You're you, you could tell that your passion is you you've made this your baby. You've made this your another one of your children. Like this this whole industry, Bitcoin, crypto, the decentralized dance party. You know, <clears throat> I didn't even get a chance to to introduce you, but you're the because uh, uh, we just jump right into it. But currently, you're the chief. Alchemist at Raze and Raze's R-A-Z-E is a really cool fintech platform that enables users to tokenize and fractionalize shares, royalties, distributions, because there's so many different uh, 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 people that have so many different, uh, that has different involvement in your project or company. It allows people to self-fundraise quickly and safely using what you guys invented, dynamic security tokens. It's super cool. Over the years, you were the the um, you were involved in, in in the creation of the um, blockchain blockchain association Canada with my friend Anthony DeOrio, who we've had on the show twice, and ended up merging with the Digital Chamber of Commerce. And um, what else have you? Oh, you wrote a bunch of different books, and and oh, you were involved in um, CA Vertex. You were involved in business development. We're going back like almost a decade of your involvement in CA the space. Vertex, and then Coinsetter, and then Coinsetter got bought by. Kraken. Oh, Jaron, like, I forgot. I love that guy. Jaron Lucas. Jaron yeah. and Jesse and Jesse, then, yeah. And then uh and then I got involved with Nick Sullivan and Victoria Van Eyck and Change Tip and you know was the head of tipping there and was like their number one user. I love uh, Change Tip. Why did it to, shut down? It was like I still have it installed in Reddit. Uh, they were a victim, they were a victim of the of the of the bear of the bear market. <laughs> we need to bring they, it back. Um, and they and they were, uh, we de- definitely do need to bring it back. It was a great, it was like really incredible solution. Um, lots of lessons learned from it, but it was like, it was really amazing. And, you know, there's definitely, there's, you know, still place and if only you just held on a little bit longer. Um, and there's some really good, there's really good lessons to also be learned from ChangeTip. They like built an incredibly 
you know, robust, feature-rich solution. So feature-rich that I remember introducing it to one of my good friends and like sending him $20 worth of Bitcoin. And he was like, just send it back to yourself. Like, yeah. I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna use this. I don't understand what's going on. There's too much stuff here. You just send me a taco. Like, what does that mean? <laughs> like, so um, you send me a taco. I actually like, you know, forked, I created like a not a fork, but like, you know, an add-on like wallet called the social wallet where we built like a front end to change tip because the change and the tip, it just implied like, you know, tipping and like servers love tips. Most people in general, like aren't like crazy about tipping and it, and, and it kind of, and it kind of like, you know, put it into like this, this little section. And I remember like asking Nick, I'm like, Nick, like, you know, why don't we go after Venmo here? Because like, you know, we've got a social payment platform and, you know, the greatest values I got out of that platform was, you know, I paid one of my friends back for a canoe trip. I owed him like $260. I created a unique link that, that held within it $260 worth of Bitcoin, which was like 0.9 Bitcoin. I texted it to my friend. He clicked the link, logged in with Facebook and then had 0.9 Bitcoin like to his name. When they shut down, he set up like a bread wallet and then withdrew it, you know, to his thing. He saw the 0.9 Bitcoin. He got himself above one as like, you know, his goal. And I know that he's like still been hodling. Um, so that was like, you know, a really great story. But what we wanted to do with it was just create like the easy send and request and yeah. then have a feed and just simplify. Like all the other stuff was really great. But until you have a big enough user base, like drop, like just adding more features can actually kind of create confusion oftentimes. So like, you know, if you're, if you're a builder and you're an entrepreneur, like build with a rigid, like small, like crush one thing, like really, really well. Once you get the users, then you can start dripping like Facebook, like, yeah. you know, in the, if Facebook launched today with everything that it has, it would be like, not confusing this you would be. <laughs> What's that? Have, I said, you know how confusing it would be? You'd have to learn how to use Facebook, but now it's all built into our into our ethos. So that, that actually is one of the reasons why Bitcoin is still so easy to use because it's just about transacting. And there's so many wallets that you can use. You talk about Edge and all these different things. Remember when it was Airbits and a lot of other, a lot of people don't use smart contract platforms, even though they hold the coins, they don't use it because it's still too hard to use. Even the daunting like connect wallet feature, it's still too hard to use. We're not there yet. We're not even close. Right. And, you know, and I think it will come and it's great that there's massive innovation because there is like, you know, a very large number of people who are, you know, web three natives that completely understand and operate within that space. And, and that's where we have like the pioneers building amazing solutions like Juicebox Money, for example, like so sick. You can spin up a DAO like yeah. that. It was one of like the inspirations for Raise. Um, but just recognizing a lot of people, you know, aren't ready to just spin up a DAO and like go full DAO model. And instead, why don't we think about let's just tokenize, you know, equity structures, but also look at tokenizing revenue structures and being able to create, you know, security tokens, which I think from the very beginning of Bitcoin, this is like there are a couple things that were out there that we always knew were going to Oh, come. colored coins. Yeah, from day one, the idea to color coins 
and make them non-fungible to be potentially like representation of equity and stuff like that. That was always like what the want and needs were. And same with same with like blockchain voting and like decent and and like direct democracy, decentralized governance. Like that was always there. But you know, it was just these were like, you know, for the visionaries and the pioneers, we could see that these things were going to be coming. It was just, you know, the world wasn't quite ready. But I think now that we've seen, you know, Bitcoin to the altcoins, to the Ethereum, the smart coins, the real explosion of that, to NFTs, to DeFi, and now with DAOs, like, you know, a lot of the infrastructure is laid. And as like, you know, the gamers and the, and the, like, the game designers start getting involved at like the UX level um, of the new projects, then we're going to have like, you know, if you build a game that has a shitty UX, like it's toast. Like it has no chance. If you build a wallet that has a bad UX, like it still has a chance to, to succeed. True story. There weren't, other, weren't other ones. So as more and more of the gamers and these awesome designers and they get involved, we're, I think, you know, we're going to start pushing the limits. And dude, it's the year 2022. We live in an unbelievable age of information, of access, of resources, of connectivity. Um, sure, there's all this like FUD all the time trying to like, you know, scare us into believing like the world's on fire and we should just hang out in a hole and watch TV. But uh, that's I how I feel sometimes. It's <laughs> fun hanging yeah. in a hole and watch TV. It's okay. It's all, I mean, everybody's kind of going through that. And it's, you know, those that like, based on like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, it's like, you know, if you can be kept at that lowest level, which is safety and security, and you're always just focusing on safety and security, you're not going to be able to rise up, rise up the pyramid towards self-actualization. And in order to rise up to self-actualization, you need to have community around. You can't self-actualize by yourself. You need to have a community of people around you who are also like, you know, reaching these higher levels and understanding where we're moving forward. And that's what I love about the crypto community is that, there's been such unbelievable growth and such like, you know, personal development growth with so many participants within it over the years. If we look at everybody back, all of us back in like 2013 and what, you know, how, how our outlooks on life and how they've all changed, you know, over the last God, nine years. Yeah. Um, you're right. No, you're right. I'm very, very proud of like for, for who we all became and, the last 10 years, the the Bitcoin and crypto community saved saved my life, but it saved a lot of people's lives because we had the absence of other communities disenfranchised from our own families and communities, uh, and then having to come together into this one. And you're right, when it comes to self-actualization, it's it's a lot more than that. It's it's really about, you know, the way the way I've always been approached about like meditating and self-actualization, what is it? It's like, this is a complimentary thing for life, but no, without it, you won't be happy. And if you're not happy, you won't be on this earth much longer. And you can't be happy if you're constantly in a fight or flight state, a, uh, a state of like post-traumatic uh, uh, PTSD, uh, or any of these type of states, if you're in them all the time and you're always worrying about three feet in front of you, it's not just about being complimentary. And, and unfortunately, in our industry where we're focused on the prices day to day, it's very easy to fall back into that like hole and wanting to cry. And so that's why I do this show a lot is for not just for the listeners, but also for myself 
to remind myself that there does exist a world and a community outside of the day-to-day. Indeed. And like, you know, you look at the headlines now, it's like the market's collapsed. I'm like, yeah, it didn't collapse. Like, this is all like, 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 like there's, there's so much. And I feel like, you know, I was in the last couple of days, it feels like the, there's a lot of pressure. And we don't even yeah. need to talk about the whole price of it because the price goes up, the price goes down. It's about this new model, this new system. And we're seeing all these incredible new you know, use cases and it's penetrated the cultural zeitgeist and, um, you know, yeah, I, dude, I remember years ago, I like wrote a paper called the Kemper Clifford formula, which was a very kind of simple formula to, uh, the intention was how much Bitcoin should a central bank hold on their balance sheet to be insured against Bitcoin. Like, so if they, like we recognize the power of Bitcoin that's coming, 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 and it's like, you know, it's going to disrupt the markets. There must be some number, like a formula that a central bank could look and okay, we can do, we can do this. And it went through a whole iterative process and actually like released a paper. And I don't think it really went in. Yeah, I'm reading it. I have it open here. <laughs> I have it open. It's uh, how much Bitcoin should one own? Oh, this is great. The economics, mathematical, it's a whole presentation here. Well, and, and, and then I did, then I, I parlayed this into how much Bitcoin should you own to like, you know, if based on a certain amount of wealth. So understanding, I'll just give the quick, quick brief on it. So I don't know, in 2016, Credit Suisse said the world had like $250 trillion worth of wealth. So like, okay, it's $250 trillion worth of wealth. How much wealth do you have? And it's like, let's say you have a million dollars worth of wealth. Well, you divide 1 million by 256 trillion, and that gets your little wealth footprint on the world. Bitcoin, the nice thing about Bitcoin is it's a total, there's only so much, it's a scarce asset. So times your little footprint times 21 million, and then you'll get an output number that is, if you own that much Bitcoin, your wealth in the entire Bitcoin ecosystem will be will be kind of secured. And I remember like bringing this to the Bank of Canada and getting laughed at and getting laughed at by the pension plan of Canada. I'm like, honestly, guys, like your whole purpose is to ensure like, you know, the wealth of Canadians, especially for the pension people. Yeah. Like, oh, there's just too much reputational wealth, like reputational wealth. Like, are you kidding me? Because this is about like actually ensuring the value of Canadians pensions. And you're worried about your reputation. Like, I think, you know, then don't announce it publicly, do this internally to, you know, it's not going to be a lot. And I remember at that time, it was like, you know, probably $500 a coin. If they wanted to do it, you know, at 20,000, numbers would be way, way higher. Yeah. And the same applied to, to the central banks. And there was actually some, a lot of thought going into, well, what happens if a central bank does this? Because the first central bank that makes this move will have a ma- massive advantage and, you know, there becomes this prisoner's dilemma, which if one person does it, they benefit. If nobody does it, they all lose. And if they all do it together, it's kind of like, you know, a marginal, like it, there aren't really winners and losers. So exploring like, okay, central banks of the world come together and buy Bitcoin. But honestly, like, who cares? They didn't, they were listening to that. They can go keep printing their own money. And I think that, uh. We should biometrically give every newborn child a certain amount of Bitcoin that cannot be accessed 
until like a certain age and can't be taken by their parents, obviously. So they can't be taken by their parents or other people and things like that. This way you ensure full decentralization of, of the human population. And the only way to do it is for the new people being born. You can't do it for us now because it would require uh, a, centralized, a centralized entity to dole out those Bitcoin and identities and, and maintain that. And I don't tr- who who can we trust for that? Well, and that unlocks, uh, like, you know, gets into the whole digital identity conversation. And, oh, like, and not only, this, but, what were you going to say? Oh, I was just going to say, like, you know, and the digital identity spectrum has been become very politicized and polarized. And a lot of people are just anti-digital identity in all forms. And, like, I am, like, wholly anti, like, centralized, like, Accenture, IBM, Microsoft-based like identity solutions but decentralized like identity federations and having like a unified wallet that's able to store onto your keys and where you control your keys you provide access towards others you're not by default sharing everything with everybody like these are these are a little bit there's 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 real value and uses to it and there's just no we just can't we're in a digital programmable world like you know using paper IDs and plastic IDs is self-limiting. So how can we consciously understand and build these new systems? But in order to do that, it really requires, um, you know, a multi-stakeholder approach, understanding uh, the ideal outcomes that you seek to achieve, the challenges that are faced, and collectively agreeing to build that together with with stakeholder assent so that there'll actually be adoption. Because if you and I like, you know, made an identity company and then went to like the world and was like, this is the identity play. Yeah. They're just be like, no. Yeah, you're like three people to sign up. Like that's cute. But if you worked with them and were like, okay, let's design, think this through and like, you know, come to the conclusion. We might know that like this is what where we where we wanted to go, but until we can like work with an industry or like you know a larger group towards getting towards those same conclusions, like in a in a cooperative manner, in a collaborative manner, like that's how you change something. You need to bring stakeholders together. If you just come and tell them what to do, it is instantly hold on, man. Like something's up here. I wasn't involved on this. So what we gave to the industry is this amazing ability for relationship mapping. We gave this to the world and Satoshi gave it to us first. Satoshi gave us Bitcoin and Bitcoin is relationship mapping as it relates to our relationship with money and between each other, between our friends and family and between government and and businesses. Now with Bitcoin, and with all new cryptocurrencies that are trying to be, whether they're a commodity or money, we now have an amazing ability to do private relationship mapping as it relates to money and all the things that are solved within that. Um, smart contracts and, and layers on top of that give us relationship mapping when it comes to not having to like have this alternative currency called the favor that existed before. I do something for you, not because I want you to pay me, but I want to build up favor. And with with crypto, we have the ability to like almost tokenize debt and tokenize favors. And if we can, if we can bring this, to, and I think that's why our community has practiced this for better or for worse throughout its its ten year history so far. And that's why we've been able to get to where we are today in a very positive way. 
you are trying to like take this same type of liquid democracy, if you will, like hyper fast. And you're trying to, and you actually applied it to a governance model as it relates to, to, to not just with raise as your company, because that's what you're doing. You're creating liquid community governance and relationship mapping to businesses. And if that's the best way to describe raise, that's what I see it as. But you've also developed ways for this to be like on a large scale nation state level. And that's really cool. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, you know, like put raise aside, I wrote this book called Canada, how we return power to the people and looking specifically like, you know, I was, I got pretty kind of deeply involved with the whole, I like to call it freezing man, like the trucker convoy that happened up in Ottawa. It was like 17 days of burning man like environment, like, uh, like experience. Yeah. Uh, but it's in the freezing cold where people came together from all over and they, you know, they participated. There was radical self-reliance. There was gifting. There was self-expression. There was inclusion. And there was a, there was overall, there was like a purpose. There's also decommodifications one of the other principles in play. Um, and they were there because like, they didn't want to go there. They were there because they wanted answers to questions and they wanted to have a debate about some of the policies that they generally disagreed with and didn't, and weren't satisfied with the answers from the government. And, you know, this really exposed kind of the government because I think in the last couple of years, there's been a lot of using fear, uncertainty and doubt and like, you know, and, and scaring people into like locking themselves down, like, you know, wearing masks, like taking, you know, the, the vaccine, um, et cetera. And, you know, in, but there's no very little dis discussion. And then we had an election in Canada too, in the middle of all of this. And the elections, and this happens in America too, they're so heavily like, you know, there's so much energy that goes in to getting people to go out and make a blue check or a red check or <laughs> like a gray check. And like, that is our democracy, like going out every now and then and making one check on a market. And there's a trillion dollar marketing campaign of like split against two parties that yeah. basically ensure, like as South Park said, you have a douchebag or a turd sandwich in, in, in play. And, you know, and I just feel like, you know, we're, we're like in the, the political figures have become like celebrity, like false deities in our world. And people put so much emphasis and energy on these individuals and not the apparatus that like, you know, is, is behind them and not the strings that are pulling them. And whereas on a lot of these issues, like if we actually opened up the issues that people were actually voting on, I think that's where, you know, blockchain and this idea of decentralized governance and direct democracy and liquid democracy can really come into play. And we're not that far away. It's honestly, it's an app. Like it's an app that's utilizing blockchain with yeah. some biometrics, with some with some identity verification, um, and a collective will to use this, and enough pioneers at the front and like you know influencers and communities saying, you know what, let's do this. And it doesn't necessarily need to be instantly binding. Like, okay, we're going to just build a new model for you know for Congress overnight. No, but we can start with like a shadow of Congress. We can start with a shadow of the executive office, the shadow of the Senate, and just enable people to make those votes themselves. 
Because if you have a million people voting on the con- the congressional votes that are housed, like the House motions that are being passed or the Senate motions that are being passed or a municipal motion that's being passed um, or being voted on, then you know if you got a million, that's a big subset. What if you had 5 million? What if you had 10 million? What if you had 200 million? Like at some point, if everybody is using this, you're going to ask, what the heck's the point of this? If we can have it actually verified. So I get really jacked on that. This is something that I'm planning to spend much more energy on, um, you know, in the future. It's a parallel stream right now, but it's a it's a big one. And one of the things that I'm doing at this point is just trying to seed the understanding that there's this new model and encourage people to start building it. Um, and right now, like I'm focusing on raise because I know that at the corporate level, if we can tokenize you know, equity structures and revenue share structures and look at new frictionless, seamless ways for businesses and then introduce governance and introduce governance at the corporate and the, and the like, you know, the, the nonprofit, the membership association level for looking at corporate structures. Let's not forget, Canada is a corporation. The United States is a corporation. Yeah. These are corporations now. And a lot of people don't understand that. So I think by innovating at the corporate governance level, we can potentially innovate at the at the national level. And then also basically in the long term, enable us to break free of this fascistic corporate model. Kyle, thank you so much for, for taking the time and, and coming on Untold Stories today and giving us a reminder about like why we're all here in the first place. Yeah, bro. My pleasure. <laughs> it's great. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. You got it, brother. I appreciate you.